Well, I hope you guys came to have some fun. Um, it was funny. I ran into someone on their way into church one morning, and we were talking about, you know, we're going to have a good time. And they were saying, well, I just told my kids that we don't have good times in church. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to have to erase that because we do that here. We actually have a good time, and we actually try to make sure that you can engage and connect in as many ways as possible, some through music and some through just hanging out with your friends around you. And so I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited that we get to continue in a series. So if you haven't done this yet, take out your notes. When you came in, you should have received a bulletin. Inside the bulletin, there's some notes. And we're going to continue a series called Fixer Upper. And the first week of Fixer Upper, we talked about God's idea is the family, that he's the one that came up with this idea. It's not our idea. It's not the government's idea. It's not a social construct. This is God's idea. He's the one that launched the family. And the second week, we actually looked at this idea of being single. And we have different seasons of singleness. One of those is before you get married. One sometimes happens when you've been through a divorce. And sometimes in other situations, it's because you've been widowed. But in all of those seasons, we talk about how do you leverage those seasons so that you can grow as much as possible in that season for God. So this week we come to marriage, and we're going to look at marriage, we're going to look at God's idea for marriage and relationships, and have a little bit of fun with this. Now, when you look at marriages, and you look around us, and you think about why do marriages fail, there's a lot of different reasons people give. Some of the top ones, of course, are things like finance, you know, communication. The biggest reason I hear a lot of times from people is you're like, what happened? What do you think you hear when you say, what happened? They say, we grew apart, or we fell out of love, or we just somehow got distance, and I woke up one day, and I didn't know who I was, you know, sleeping next to or married to anymore, and things just changed. Now, when I looked at this, I started looking at some of the stuff that was out there. Here's some of the things that people list as common reasons why they struggle in their marriage, and also common reasons why they say that they sometimes end up in separation and divorce. The first one is a lack of support, both in good times and bad times. That's interesting, isn't it? It wasn't just bad times. In fact, they said it was easier to give support when someone was hurting or going through a bad time. It was hard when your spouse comes in and says, hey, here's a big win in my life. And the person's like, oh, that's cool. You know, but they don't share the same excitement. That was one of the number one reasons people listed of that idea of growing apart. Um, they were incompatible with their idea of finance. It wasn't just money. It was that their point of view about finance was radically different. And they said that was something that just kept them always fighting in the relationship. Another one was communication issues. You know, one was a talker and a fighter, and then maybe the other one's like a retreater and thinker, and they just never could quite get their communication on the same page, and so they never shared what was going on, and things just built and built and amassed. Another one was an addiction issue. This one surprised me, but this is out now. This is the number four reason people struggle in marriage. Either substance abuse, one of the big ones that you listed when we surveyed you is technology, and they said social media was high, and another one that was high was pornography. And I'll get to that in a second. That one is huge right now in our culture. And of course, the fifth highest reason was adultery. Somebody just goes out, and here's the reality, okay? So the divorce rate, people, uh, when they talk about this, to be honest, you can't really figure it out. Um, you try to figure it out. I tried to figure it out doing some research. And if you're a sociologist, I'd love to hear your opinion on this because depending on who you talk to, the divorce rate is different. If you talk to some people, they say it's stayed about the same at 50%. And you talk to other people, they'll say it's gone down. But it depends on which factors you actually look at. Less people are getting married now. That affects the divorce rate. Some people only look at the divorce rate this way. They'll say, hey, this many people got divorced this year, and this is how many people are in the U.S., but not many people look at the divorce rate this way, which is, I think, the biblical worldview of how to look at it. How many people stay married for their whole life? And so not many people even have the ability to measure that. And so that's one of the things that you see when you're trying to figure this out. So it's hard. But here's what you do know. Anybody that's been through a divorce, 
You know how painful it is. You know how hurtful it is. I was talking to a friend when he was on the cusp of this, and he's like, I think I'm going to go through a divorce. And I'm talking to him about it, and we're having lunch. He says, I already know what you're going to tell me. I'm like, great, I love it when people think they know what I'm going to tell them. So go ahead and tell me what you think I'm going to tell you. He's like, you're going to tell me as a Christian I shouldn't do this. You're going to tell me as a Christian I should just figure out a way to love my wife. You're going to tell me that I just need to get over myself and move on. I said, that's not what I'm going to tell you. And he's like, really? I said, nope. I came today to tell you from the perspective of a child what it's like to walk through a divorce with their parents. And that's what I, because my parents were divorced. My dad got divorced in my mind after 25 years. And so I wanted to share with him what that was like as a child. Here's what this was like as I tried to process this, as I tried to process this now in two different homes. And I wanted to give you that perspective because if there's any way that you can work through this, it's worth it not only for your spouse, but for your kids. And the reality was is he just couldn't see through it because here's what he said. I deserve to be happy. And we're going to talk about that also in a second. So let's look at this idea of marriage. Now, in week two, I told you that singleness is kind of interesting because you can't compound single, right? You can't squeeze it any more than single. It's single. Well, here's the funny thing about marriage. Marriage rightly compounded comes out single. And that's what we're going to look at. The biblical worldview is when you take two people and they come together in marriage, that comes out single. They come out as one. And so let's look at this and let's look at Jesus' idea regarding this in Matthew 19. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. And we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about this particular topic. And just so you know, there were people that were gunning for him and they were trying to trip him up on this issue. So let's look at it. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they said... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, look at that, one flesh. Some translations just say that you will become one. Why then, I love this, and they come to this, they said, so, so they no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has put together, let no man separate. Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to have divorce, divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it's not this way from the beginning. He goes all the way back to Genesis. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marriage or unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So here's what Jesus is saying. And by the way, if you read this in the Gospel of Mark, it's, it's equal on both sides for guys and gals. So Jesus is one of the first people in the Middle East at that time that was equivocating the idea of divorce. Up to that point, everything was in the guy's favor. Jesus is the first one that comes along as a teacher and says, no, 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 it's both and. These two can become one, and so whichever one divorces, there's this issue. Now, not to go into every issue, but let me tell you the two reasons that the Bible actually talks about that justify divorce, okay? One is marriage one faithfulness, that number five we just talked about. Sometimes it's very difficult to, un, to you know, reconcile a relationship when trust has been broken so deeply. And Jesus even says, you know, that's justification. But he doesn't say you have to. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says it is justification. The other reason that the Apostle Paul gives later in Corinthians, is the Apostle Paul says, if you're married to someone who's not a believer and they decide to leave, you may allow them to do so, okay? So these are the two things in biblical union where God says, okay, that's when there's separation allowed, and that's when it may even lead to divorce. But he's saying that's not the idea from the beginning. The idea is that two people would come together and they would be one. So I want to help you to see how we can save our marriages, because it is, the divorce rate is high. How can we save our marriages? Whether it's your first marriage, your second marriage, or whatever you're in right now, I want to save the current marriage you're in. How do you do that? Well, the first thing you need to understand is you're infected. 
I love this. I did, I did not do this on purpose, okay? You're infected. All of us are infected, and we're going to talk about a UTI. Any nurses in the room? A UTI, okay. So what's a UTI stand for? Okay, good. Okay, it's just, you know, I didn't do this on purpose. I was actually putting these down, and I looked at my wife and said, oh, my goodness, I actually brought this out as being. But it works out because these are the things that affect our relationships in marriage, okay? So there's your one bit of humor. And my wife warned me. She says, don't take that too far. I said, okay. We'll only reference it and move on, okay? So here's the first piece of the U, okay? We're unequally yoked. That's the first P of the U, okay? The first part of the U. You're unequally yoked. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 6, and he specifically is referencing a believer in Jesus and an unbeliever. And he's saying, do not be unequally yoked. He's saying, you can't do this. If you do this, it's going to wreck your marriage. Now, I've seen this happen. I had a friend who came to me one day, and she said, I'm really in love with this guy, but he's not a believer. Can you just, like, win him, you know, win him to Jesus? I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way. It's not like i got a magic wand. You know, I can go, okay, come on over here, Bubba. Whoop, ding, he's a believer. Now you can get married, okay? It doesn't work that way. But this guy was resistant, and he was pushed back very much on the gospel of Christ and said, you know what, I don't believe that. In fact, he was a staunch atheist, but she was in love at that point, and all of her emotions were connected to this relationship, and they joined. Okay, they got married. I did not do that wedding, but they got married. And here's the reality now. She goes to church by herself. She goes to Bible study by herself. She prays by herself. And every spiritual discipline that she's trying to work out in her life, she has no support. And she's still, to her credit, incredible woman, trying to work on her own spiritual life and her family's spiritual life while still trying to support this husband she's trying desperately to bring into it. This is the idea that Paul was talking about, he says, not being unequally yoked. But as I meditate on this, I thought about at different seasons in our marriage, we feel this way, don't we? Have you ever thought about that? There's moments in my life where I'm not hitting on all the cylinders spiritually. You're like, really, the pastor? Yeah, it happens as pastors too. We have these moments. And there's moments in my wife's journey, she's not hitting on every spiritual cylinder either. But here's why it's so cool that God's put you together. In those seasons, I always see that one of us helps the other one as we walk through that spiritually. And so when I see that, it gives me actually uh, hope. The other reason it gives me hope is when we come together and we have an argument or we're talking about something, we have a common base on which to build on, don't we? On our parenting, we go to the Bible. On our marriage, we go to the Bible. You know, When we talk about our finances, we go to the Bible. And so we have this common point of reference that not only when we disagree, we find a place of agreement. This is why not being, if you're unequally yoked, it really hurts your marriage. So bringing two people to the same place spiritually brings a lot of health, but it can also bring a lot of disease into a marriage when it's not working. I was talking to a couple recently that was going through a real difficult decision, and they were wrestling with it. And it was one of those decisions where the wife felt one way very strongly about a certain thing, And the husband also felt a certain way about it. And they weren't in agreement yet. Now, here's the beauty of it. Both these people were believers in Jesus. So the beauty was, I knew that I didn't have to answer their question or solve their problem. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing? Here's what I had to do. Have you guys prayed about it yet? And they're like, a little bit. I said, have you prayed out loud over each other every night before you get to bed about this topic? We've not done that yet. I said, well, that's that's actually how you're going to get your answer. As you pray together and you join your hearts together and where you see that you're on different places right now spiritually, the Holy Spirit will bring you to a place of union and he'll tell you what you should do. Isn't that freeing? You and I can't, are not designed to solve everybody's problems, but if you can get them on the same page spiritually, something cool can happen. And when you don't have this, disease enters the marriage. The second thing is trust. Trust is something that comes into our marriages and causes incredible infection when we don't have it. 
Two factors when I think about trust. These are just the two that I came up with. Here are the two. Broken trust and trust that's withheld. Broken trust and trust that's withheld. What do I mean? So in broken trust, there's been a betrayal. Okay, You can define it, whether it's an emotional betrayal, a physical betrayal, a betrayal of confidence. And once that trust is broken, it's very difficult to get back. And it causes this infection that seeps into the relationship and it seeps into the marriage. And the longer that trust keeps coming, the worse the distance comes between the two couples. The other one is what I call wounded or what you would call baggage, right? Wounded or baggage that comes into the marriage, meaning I've been hurt, I've been wounded, something's happened in my past in a previous relationship, whether it's a parenting relationship, a previous marriage, you know, anything like that. And it comes into the relationship, and you can't elicit it and give that trust to the other person because you're still dealing with what's happening here. Both of these kinds of trust factors will really mess with your marriage. In my own marriage, it came out this way one time. Um, my wife had a great dad, but her dad, and, you, and she, I don't think she would mind me sharing this because he's a great guy, but one of the areas that he was trying to grow in was whenever he was facing a family issue, he would use the church as an escape. You ever know anybody like that? So what they would do is, I need to run away, so what I'll do is I'll run over here, and I'll go to the church, and I'll just pour myself. That's a good thing, right? We can do good things sometimes and think that's going to fix the issue. So I'm going to do this good thing while ignoring this real thing I've got to deal with over here, right? And so now... That's not to put blame on him. All of us do this to different factors. But let me show you how this comes into a marriage. So then I say, hey, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. She's like, I don't think so, right? This is something we had to wrestle with. Because the first thing in her mind was, that means you're going to spend all your time at church. And church is going to become your first priority and not your marriage and not your family. That was in her head. And I, listen, here's the thing. I, it was my responsibility, and we'll talk about that in a situation, to help her walk through that reality so that our marriage could be healthier and take the next step. But these factors of trust will erode at a marriage and take it down. The last one is intimacy. Intimacy. In intimacy, you've heard me say this, I think best defined very simply is this. In to me see. Okay? So, there's certain things I am not going to show you. And you're like, thank goodness, right? And there's certain things that only Susan gets to see and only Susan gets to know, my wife. That's intimacy. And there's different you know, gradations of intimacy that you give to different people based on how you build relationships. This is so important because in our world, intimacy is what's really under attack and how to understand intimacy. So let me give you three dynamics of intimacy that are based on three words the Bible uses regarding love. The Bible just doesn't use the word love. The Bible has three different terms in the original language for love. And the first one is one that you understand. Where's my Philly fans? All right, Philly fans. Guys at Snowball Santa Claus. Okay, so there's my Philly fans, okay? The city of Philadelphia is what? The city of brotherly love. Why is that? Because in the original Greek language, phileo means brotherly love. So one of the dynamics of love that you need in a relationship and where intimacy needs to happen is this idea of brotherly love, which is emotional, relational love. The other one is a spiritual love. Now, the Bible doesn't make this direct connection, but I've seen it as I've read through it in depth. And that's the word agape, okay, in the original language, which means all forgiving love. It's the kind of love that no matter what you do, I'll love you anyway. I'll forgive you 
no matter, this is the kind of love that Jesus gives to us when he dies for us on the cross. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us because he loves us this much. And to me, that's a spiritual and more in-depth love. And then there's, of course, the physical love, which the biblical word for that is eros. And we get the word erotic from that. And even saying that word in public anymore, people go, whoop, you kind of pucker up, right? You're like, you can't say that word, especially in church, but it's a biblical word. And what it means is the physical affectionate union only to be expressed in the covenant marriage of one man and one woman. And from God's perspective, it's not wrong. It's lovely and beautiful. Now, let me show you what happens in these areas. In the area of emotional relational in a marriage, this is the way it should look. How often do you talk about your work, your life, your feelings, your emotions, what you're going through, what your trials are? This is the emotional, right? This is the brotherly love. You're hanging out, okay? Then there's other moments where you're gathering together. We talk about this in our church, gathering, growing, giving, and going, where you're actually being and coming together with your wife, and you're growing in these areas together spiritually. You're coming to church together. You're going to Bible study together. You're doing your devotions together. You're praying together. Man, that's when you start to see the spiritual fruit where you can forgive anything because God's building into the marriage. The physical one is where you're honest with your spouse about what your needs are physically, which, by the way, is different for every single couple in different seasons of their lives. So there's no formula for that. It requires communication. Now let's just talk about what Satan does. Here's what Satan does. He takes that, just like in the garden we talked about, and he skews it. He doesn't come directly against it. He's been, he's been doing this for thousands of years. He's pretty smart. He just tweaks it some in our culture to take us off target. So in the area of emotional relational love, here's what he's been doing to us, and we don't even know it. But when you stop and think about it, you'll see it. He says, let me redefine the roles of husband and wife. Let me do that one tweak for you. Let me show you how marriage is broader than one man and one woman. And the moment he does it, he takes us off of the real definition of intimacy that is brotherly love. And when he does that, he skews our understanding of what's supposed to happen in the union. The other thing that he does, and he does this very well spiritually, is he says, it's not holiness that you need, it's happiness. That's what he does spiritually. So if I'm not happy, I deserve to be happy. So I got to do whatever I got need to do to get happy. And God doesn't care about your happiness. I hate to tell you this. He cares about your holiness. That's what he cares about. What's funny is, is the more holy I get, the more whole I get in my relationship with God. It's funny how the joy follows. But if I pursue happiness, I can never quite attain it. And that's the spiritual agape component. And then in physical, what he does is he says, it's all about your needs. You need to meet your needs. And that's what your spouse is supposed to do is meet your needs. Instead of physically, what we should be saying is, how do I meet their needs? How do I serve them in this area physically? And when you begin to think that way, he changes it. And that in and of itself is when we talked about at the beginning, the biggest, one of the biggest things people say is attacking a marriage is pornography right now. Pornography. Listen, why? Because that's about you meeting your needs, you satisfying your desires. And it is rampant. Let me just tell you how bad it is. I had no idea until I started researching this. Of course, when you research this, you got to be careful what you Google, right? That's why we've got great search engines, right, Dan, and great firewalls on all of our stuff. Okay, but listen to some of the stuff that came back from some really reputable websites. It's a $3 billion industry. That blew me away. 40 million Americans right now are going to re regularly visit a porn site. 35% of every internet download is from a pornographic website. 
35%. of all search engine queries, people just putting something in saying, hey, what's up? That's what they're looking for. And we used to think this was only a guy issue, right? If you grew up in the era that I grew up, you know, there were certain magazines that got tucked under certain beds, and you knew where to find those, and that was a bad thing, and you shouldn't have done that. But now it's readily accessible. Now listen to this. One-third of all pornography viewers are women. One-third. That blew me away because that's just not something I'd thought about. 200,000 Americans are actually addicted. 200,000 are admitted addicted. When this moves into the teenage world, listen to what it does in the teenage world. It actually, when they made the correlation, it is actually double the teenage pregnancy rate when you actually correlate which teens are watching and looking at pornography. It disorients young teens into understanding who they are as sexual beings. They've made the direct correlation to this link. So you want to know what's going on and why we're thinking differently in this area? This is a major factor. It produces in teens feelings of loneliness including major depression, because they never feel adequate. It also uh, makes major issues in areas of self-esteem. It's unbelievable when you stop and you start to think about this topic alone. And 68% of every divorce in this country right now lists this as one of the major problems of what gets them there. So we have to deal with this issue in our intimacy if you're going to see our marriages actually be whole. So what's the Apostle Paul say about this wholeness? That's what's happening. That's the infection, right? That's the UTI. How do we get whole? You know, where's the penicillin? Okay, here's the penicillin. The cure that brings oneness, he actually talks about the same chapter we referenced last week, which is 1 Corinthians 7. Do not deprive each other, okay, except by mutual consent, and only for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Hmm. Then come together again so Satan can't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. So here's what Paul's saying. Let me tell you some wisdom. This is not a command. This is some wisdom I want you to understand about how you can make your marriages good. So think about those three areas, and let's walk through them again. The first one, you need a consistent spiritual engagement. Where you're unequally yoked, you need consistent spiritual engagement in your marriage. This is what you need to have a successful marriage. Daily prayer times. Daily. Now, I confess to you, this is hard. This has been the hardest spiritual discipline that we as a couple have had to put in our marriage. And it's very difficult to do. This isn't like you pray over your meal, okay? It's not you pray over your meal, okay? My dad had a prayer over his meal. He'd say it every day on time. And he had it wrote to memory. Give us grateful hearts, our Father, for all thy mercies, and make us mindful of the needs of others. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. I don't know where that prayer came from, but that's the prayer I heard at every meal. This is more of the intimate, heartfelt, knee-to-knee prayer time when you come together as a couple. And what you're talking about are the things that you've shared, and you're praying over them, and you're praying out loud. This should happen at bedtimes. This should happen at mealtime. How beautiful for a couple to snuggle up in bed and pray as their first act. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. In troubled times. You ever done that? Actually, one of the things I do sometimes when I'm leaving, because my wife is still asleep when I leave on Sunday morning, I love doing this. I don't know if you've ever done this to your spouse. Without them ever knowing you do this, to put your hands not on them but over them and pray God's blessing over them as they wake that morning. I'm telling you, as you start to do these things, you start to see God merge your marriage together and you see incredible things. Thank-filled times where you see them and they come to you and say, guess what happened? And the first thing you do is say, that's awesome. Let's pray and thank God for what God's doing in your work and your marriage and your life and the kids. It changes your perspective and it begins to bring union. It's when you go to a weekly Bible study. This is why weekly Bible studies are so important, because you're going to Bible study together, and you're learning together, and you're growing together. 
And then consistent church attendance. There's just something about coming to church together, right? When you come to church together and you're like, that dude is a goofball. And you get to talk about what the guy on the stage talked about. And it brings you together in your union. That's pretty cool. And that's what's so important. I remember when my wife came to me and we, I just got out of the Navy and I was struggling with my spiritual life. And I bet my mother-in-law had a like prayer life over me like you wouldn't believe. And I'm trying to get back engaged in church. And my wife's like, we just need to go back. We just need this. And she had this in her journey, you know, this, this, um, this foundation that was laid. And I wasn't ready. And I'm like, I'm not going back. I am not going to be a hypocrite. If I go back, I'm all in. I'm not half in. And she just kept praying over me. And she kept praying for me. And I'll never forget the day that I got the diagnosis that my mom had cancer. I'm like, I think we need to be back in church because I cannot deal with this on my own. And, and off we came. And that's when I started to see our marriage really grow spiritually because we were both working together. So you need that in your marriage. If you don't have that, here's what you need to do before I give you point two. You need to fulfill your role that we talked about. You need to pray over your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Don't nag and drop little hints, okay? Don't do that, whether you're the guy or the gal. Don't do that, okay? They already know that you want them to come. Engage in the spiritual part of the realm that is unseen and pray over them and actually sick the Holy Spirit on them. You ever done that? That's so cool when you do that to people. You're like, hey, you get with your small group that you're now attending, your spouse isn't attending with you. You're like, hey, will you all do me a favor? Will you pray every week that the Holy Spirit will sick my spouse until they actually come to church? And you begin to pray in the spiritual realm with your group. Watch and see what God does. It's fun to watch. I love that. We used to have a, a Sunday school I was in years ago. We'd put people's name on a board. We thought that was a good idea until then they showed up to Sunday school and they said, why is my name on the board? And we're like, oh, we've been praying for you. And that was a little awkward. Okay, maybe, maybe you need to like uh, erase them every week and then rewrite them or something. But <laughs> it was kind of cool. They knew they were being prayed for too. So it was interesting. The second thing when you think about this and you want to bring health in your marriage is fill up each other's trust tank. Fill up each other's trust tank. So let's talk about those two areas again. Betrayal, right? You've broken trust. And withholding, you're withholding trust. If you've been betrayed, here is the cure. It's biblical repentance. We don't like this word, and we don't talk about it in the church very much, but let's talk about repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. That's an apology, okay? Repentance is a complete changing of the direction of your life that your thinking changes and your actions change in alignment with your heart. And when you hurt someone and you've wounded them, and then you make a big change, you'll see repentance in someone. I love the movie, uh, we bring it up all the time, bud. What's the one? Um, Fireproof in your marriage, right? There's a moment where they actually show that this, this husband is struggling with pornography, okay? And he's actually now got born again. He's given his life to Jesus. He's gone through the ABCs we talk about all the time. He admitted, believed, committed his life fully to Christ. And now he's wrestling still with these same emotions. And he takes that computer, I don't know if you've seen this movie, and he puts it outside. And what's he, what's he do to it? He takes a baseball bat, and he just puts it right through it. And his neighbor, of course, is going, what is wrong with this guy, right? That's repentance. That's repentance. His thinking was like, I don't want to be here anymore. My heart doesn't want to be here anymore. My heart is for Christ and for my wife. But this is still getting a hold of me. And so, therefore, I'm going to take an extreme measure, and I'm going to nail this. That's repentance. That's repentance. And when your spouse sees that, because you've broken that trust, it elicits trust from her or him. 
That's where this is a betrayal. Where it's withheld, you've got to go back and deal with the actual root issue. And that actually may take some counseling. It may take some working through with people that are smarter than your pastors because we love the Bible, but we're not counselors. People go, hey, will you do counseling for me? I'll meet with you. I'll talk to you and I'll help you. But you do not want me to counsel you. Okay? My wife says, you did not get the mercy gene. I said, I know. I got the preaching gene. They don't come together. Okay? Preach truth. These people love you and walk you through life. Okay? That's the way it works. And so I'll meet with people, and then I usually help them get connected to a really good biblical counselor because that's their skill set. The other thing you can do in the area of trust to fill up the tank is share your withholds. Has anybody ever told you about this? Share your withholds. We withhold from our spouse great compliments and things that, work, that actually irk us that we haven't told them about. We withhold both, right? The problem is when you lean into one more than the other. So what you do in sharing a withhold is you say, hey, I want to share a withhold. And you create a safe space, which means you can't respond for 15 minutes after I share the withhold. Okay? And then what you do is you say, you always start with a positive. I should have complimented you this week when I saw this or this about you, and I didn't. And I shared this positive withhold, so I'm going to share this with you because you need to be blessed by it. And all they're allowed to say is, thank you. They can't respond. They can't argue. It's not 15 minutes, okay? And then you can share a negative if you've got one. Hey, this is concerning me. This is bothering me. It's something we need to talk about later. I just want you to think about it and consider it for about 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll come back in another time, okay? And then always end with another positive withhold. This is awesome. And what it is is it's actually speaking affirmation but also dealing with issues in your marriage, and that helps to elicit and build trust because you're being honest with one another, Okay? Look what it says in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's what this is doing when you're sharing these kind of things and building trust. And the last thing is in the area of intimacy. And I'm going to tell you how to build intimacy. Yeah, this is the spicy hot part of the message. Okay, here's how you build it. Guys, never stop dating your wife. Never stop dating your wife. The same way you won her is the same way you keep her, okay? You pursued her, you doted on her, you, you, know, you talk to her on the phone even though you don't like to talk to people on the phone. You won her this way, okay? And that's the way you keep her. You create romantic moments. You're the leader in the home. You create the moments. She's not supposed to create them. You're supposed to create them. And I'm going to give you one right now that's so easy and you can steal it and say, I'll do this. If you don't know how to create a romantic moment, I'm going to tell you one. Get post-its. You know the little post-its, little stickums, okay? And on the post-its, all around the house, write down something that you want to say to your wife that's a blessing. You could put them in the bedroom, make sure the kids don't go in there. Okay, put them in the bedroom, okay, things I love, okay, put them in there. You could put them in the kitchen. I love it when you put them in there, put them in the cupboard so they don't see it when they open the cupboard. And they're like, oh my goodness, right? You could put them anywhere, put them in the car, right? And you're just thinking about, in what way do I love and appreciate my wife, my husband. And when you write those posters down, they don't even know you don't tell them, just put them there. And it will create romance. Another one for me is doing the dishes. I don't know why, but when I do chores, the wife loves it. I, I don't know why, but that's something she loves. It's something that says, I love you, okay? I don't love them, but she loves them, okay? Let me tell you, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Let me tell you how my wife does this for me, even though I know the men are supposed to pursue their wives. But let me, let me give you this one. Every time I go on a trip, every time, Susan writes me a, a card, like a little card, and she always somehow finds a way to slip it into my luggage or a bag. And, so I, and she does it that way because she does, I'll unpack my bags and I'll find it, and then she writes something. And every time she does that, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's about encouragement and how much she believes in what God's doing in my life. Every time. That's, that's what women have to do. Never stop believing in your husband. Never stop believing in them. 
Never stop believing that they can be the men that God wants them to be. Never stop believing that they're going to love you the way you deserve to be loved. Never stop believing that they will be all that they're supposed to be because of your prayer life over them and your love for them. And this is how it looks when you start to do that. When Susan gives me these cards, it just all the time blesses me. And she'll do that, and I'll read that, and I'm like, man. She's the first one when I get done a message. How was it? She knows she's going to get it. Bless her heart. How was the message? Because her opinion matters more to me than anyone else's. Because I know if she believes in me and she believes in what God's doing in our lives, we can deal with anything. And that's the kind of confidence it gives a man. When you know, when people come to you and they're going to tell me, trust me, if you're doing anything for the kingdom of God, people are not going to like you. Okay? It's going to happen. You don't believe me? Just look at Jesus. Okay? He was not popular all the time. But he had people that were on his side. And mainly on his side was who? The Holy Spirit and the Father. It kept him going. And this relationship on earth, knowing my wife is the one right next to me, it keeps me going. This is what it looks like. This is how you see marriages really do something, really last, really look the way they're supposed to look. This is how you wake up one day and you go, how is it that we've been married 50 years, 40 years? Where'd the time go? This is how it happens. Now, I want to warn you too. It does take two. And it doesn't always work out as a fairy tale, okay? And things do happen. When they happen and you can't fix what happened here, Fix where you are going forward. Do not ever feel the guilt and condemnation because you've made an error or you found yourself in a place where your marriage didn't work out. Work on moving forward. That's what you have to do. But these areas, wherever you are in marriage, will make the biggest difference in your life. They'll make the biggest difference. Here's a last thought, and then we'll, we'll close in a little bit of a different way. A marriage of one is going to fail. A marriage of one is going to fail. But a marriage focused on the one, the one, brings a life filled with joy. It brings a life filled with joy. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. You focus on your needs and what you want, what you think the marriage is supposed to be. And every time that you do that, you're going to witness and feel the failure of that relationship. You focus in on the one, on what Jesus wants out of your marriage. And every time you're going to see God show up and do something pretty amazing. Let me pray for you, and then I want to um, just share something with you that I think will give you a perspective regarding where we need to take our marriages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each and every person here. God, for those that have been through a tough divorce, a tough marriage, I pray that right now that if they're still processing the season of single, that they'll just process that season and they'll end on the other end more whole in their relationship with you. For those that have gone through a loss of a spouse, God, I just pray that you'll bless them again in the season of single that they're in. But God, for those that are either entering into marriage, considering marriage, or are married, I pray that the infection of the enemy will be held at bay. Not because of my words or something super spiritual, but God, specifically because as we put you first in our marriages, as we love one another the way you designed us to love each other, that we'll see marriages not only whole, but that they'll be flourishing. God, as we consider how we should live based on either the world's way or your way, give us great clarity on that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said.